0: Every day, a small group of people are making quantum leaps forward, building wealth faster than most dream possible, almost like they have the Midas touch. On Breakaway Wealth, we'll unlock the secrets to breaking out of the herd, thinking big and building wealth on our own terms. And now let's join our host, the creator of Create Tailwind, and your abundance advocate, Jim Oliver.
1: Welcome back, Breakaway Wealth. I'm your host, Jim Oliver, and today I'm really excited to have back a great guest and a great friend of the show and a great friend to a lot of causes out there that, that we strongly support. And, uh, uh, Paul Moore is back. So welcome back, Paul.
0: Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks, Jim.
1: You know, um, Paul, I think it's been over a year since you were on the show and we talked about some, uh, some, some great investment strategies and how people can get involved in real estate. And, you know, we've had some clients contact you, I know, but uh, for people that didn't listen to that episode, kind of give me just a background. Tell me where you, you know, where you live, kind of your business experience a little bit. And, uh, you know, last, I gotta, I gotta interrupt you before I, before I let you answer that, Paul, <laughs> but the last time I said it like that was, I think with Nelson Nash and Nelson started with my dad was born in 1904 and I oh, thought, wow. Oh, I should not have asked an 88 year old <laughs> guy to, to tell me his life story. Cause I only have 30 or 40 minutes of this show, you know? So oh wow, do you have to edit it? We edited it a little bit, but out of respect for Nelson, I, 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 I said to people, listen, there, there are parts that were a little bit slow in this interview, but do yourself a favor and listen to the whole interview. And I would tell yeah. the audience, go back to that. That's episode one. And uh, oh, it is, wow. uh, you know, anytime you can hear Nelson Nash talk about just life and infinite banking and investing yeah. and it's definitely worth it. But, Paul, give us a little intro and background for yourself.
0: Yeah. So my grandparents were, I'm just kidding. Um, So I I, uh, sold my company in Detroit in 1997 to a publicly traded firm. We came to uh, the Blue Ridge mountains of Virginia to raise our children. And uh, we started buying what we call fixer uppers. And that's uh, the term that of course, now we call that flipping. And so we flipped a bunch of houses, then flipped a bunch of waterfront lots at a resort in the area called Smith Mountain Lake. I started uh, an online real estate business, which I still have passively. Uh, But I was always trying to figure out how to get into commercial real estate. I did one small subdivision, but uh, in 2011, we built a multifamily property in North Dakota to serve oil workers there. And I realized I want to be in multifamily or some type of commercial real estate, but I don't want to be a ground-up developer anymore. And so I ended up writing a book called The Perfect Investment about multifamily investing. And after that, I ended up uh, expanding out into self-storage and mobile home parks. And we're on our third fund right now uh allowing people to invest alongside us in the best in class operators and assets we found in those asset classes
1: so let's talk about that paul because you know for a lot of our audience they know exactly what you're talking about but for uh some people in the audience this is kind of a new concept that i could invest passively with your expertise and guidance and management and I really don't have to, you know, It's, it's the, I, I laugh about this, but I, I meet with people every day that say, well, you know, real estate, I don't want to, I don't want to fix toilets and paint walls and you yeah. know, pull up carpet. And, and, uh, and I said, I don't want to do that either. So uh, talk, talk to us about just a little bit more of the details of what you're talking about, like your fund and how it works.
0: Yeah, two of our largest investors are actually lobster men or lobster fishermen off the coast of Maine. And one of them said, You know, I love real estate, but I hate being a landlord. I love all of the tax benefits. I love the fact that I can roll it forward, you know, and do a 1031 exchange and not have to pay all those capital gains and other taxes. And I get the depreciation write offs. Uh, I love the fact that it can grow and provide income along the way, but I really hate being a landlord. And I said, well, you know, there's a way to get both, Uh, investing in a syndication that provides a K-1, that's a, you know, part of the tax return, basically, it's a K-1, meaning the income and the write-offs all flow through through to you as the investor, as if you were the owner, but you don't have to deal with toilets, tenants, and trash. And that's exactly what we do at Wellings Capital.
1: Yeah, it's very cool. So um, I would think that there's a lot of people that this is a good way for them to start investing in real estate, right? And kind of understand what's going on. You know, I'm sure you guys provide reports and things that are happening and and uh, probably due diligence, uh evaluating uh properties and moves and and so to watch how something operates i mean that's for the beginner this is a
0: good place to start right yeah some people come to us and they're maybe a full-time you know doctor dentist uh, it professional etc and they say they want to get into real estate full-time and they do want to manage it themselves but for now this is their best entree in and they can you know, go on due diligence trips with us and work alongside of us and see how it works and decide if they really want to do this themselves.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's got to be some people that think after, cause I know some of the performance that you've gotten in your funds, they have to think, well, why would I ever want to do it on my own with how much money they're making inside of, of the fund?
0: You know, honestly, I think that's where a lot of people are going to land in the end, Jim. I think that they're going to realize, you know, hey, I I, I wouldn't want to do this myself after I see all that's involved. There's a huge difference between a professional operator and a mom-and-pop operator in a lot of these type things. I mean, a mom-and-pop might scrape along, barely make any profit, uh, have a little appreciation, and a professional can come in and it's pretty stunning what a professional can do with the same operation and, you know, potentially double or triple the investor's equity over a, a fairly short amount of time. It's it's really a great opportunity and it won't be here forever, but it it really is going very well right now.
1: That's awesome. And what's, tell, tell everybody the name of the fund that's open now, Paul.
0: Uh, we have the Wellings Income Fund 2, which is actually a growth and income fund. Um, And then uh, we're launching a Delaware Statutory Trust as well.
1: So tell us about that. Tell us about the Delaware Statutory Trust. That's uh, probably a concept that a lot of people have not heard of, but um, or, you know, some of the newer people out there. So um, tell us about that.
0: Yeah, so, you know, a 1031 exchange was, it was threatened that it would be taken away in the 2017 tax law changes. Instead, it was actually taken away for cars and boats and trucks and airplanes and things like that, art, but uh, it was maintained for real estate. Now, the 1031 exchange means that people can essentially swap from property A to swap property B and they don't have to pay the accrued growth from capital gains, and they don't have to pay the depreciation recapture taxes, basically the write-offs they got all along the way. They don't have to pay taxes on that. They can kick the can down the road. And of course, if you kick that can down the road until you're passing, your heirs can get a reset in basis, which means they might never have to pay those capital gains taxes if handled right. But the problem with the 1031 exchange, Jim, is there's a time limit. You have only 45 days to name potential properties to swap into after you're closing, and you'll have only four and a half months more to close. You have a lot of time pressure. You have to get the sizing right, the size of the debt, the size of the equity has to generally match. Um, you have, uh, you're dealing with overpriced properties. People now are dealing with the lack of being able to travel easily in COVID. It's really, really hard to find a replacement property. Well, the Delaware Statutory Trust is a concept where investors can fractionally invest with a professional operator. They don't have to deal with the toilets, tenants, and trash, and they can get the Uh, income from a stabilized asset, and they can also get the appreciation along the way as well. So it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to exchange and get a fractional piece of a larger, sometimes an institutional quality asset. But the effort Uh, after finding the asset and after doing getting the initial uh just exchange done the effort expended is only walking to your mailbox every month or every quarter to get your check
1: (laughs) i like that that's uh that's what we used to call mailbox money right now but now they have uh, electronic funds transfers and we probably don't even have to go to the mailbox
0: that's right you can sit in the jacuzzi
1: that's right i like that paul what um you know, you mentioned this, you know, COVID, coronavirus situation. What what do you see as opportunities? I mean, what are you guys looking at now? What do you see in the near future? What do you see kind of as a rebound? What do you think, what sectors you think are in trouble? Kind of give us a uh, market overview in, from your perspective.
0: Well, I, yeah, thanks for asking. I think it's pretty clear that um, a lot of things that were already in decline are being accelerated right now. And a lot of things that were on the increase are being accelerated. You know, Amazon is, you know, taking off and all types of things, you know, that were, you know, already trending are trending even more so. Uh, Malls and retail. I mean, look, Jim, a year ago when we talked, we were in a year 2019 with one of the strongest economies in history and yet 12,000 retail outlets In the US, shut down during that strong economy. So, we've got that even accelerating now. So, I, I, you know, retail is under a lot of pressure, office is under a lot of pressure. One of my friends manages a couple million dollars worth of, you know, in annual rents that his company pays around the DC Beltway for office space. And he told me the other day he said, "We just don't need these offices anymore I mean we have we need some, but not all that and if this you know really becomes a national trend or continues as a national trend, productivity continues to go up from home uh, office space is going to be under a lot of pressure as well I wouldn't want to be an owner of Manhattan office space right now yeah. um, other things that are you know I think could have some problems would be um, asset classes where the margin of safety was real thin. And if you want to dive into the technicalities of that, I would call that the DCR, the DSCR, the debt service coverage ratio yep. was basically it's, it's the ratio between the net operating income of a property and the debt Payment, and you know, honestly, banks typically want that to be twenty-five or thirty percent margin of safety. That'd be a one-point-two-five or one-point-three debt coverage ratio. Um, a lot of those, I think, could have some trouble because you know, only a five or ten percent decrease in revenue can put them in a very dangerous spot if they're highly leveraged, and especially if the interest-only period is ending, and they're getting into the full principal and interest payment, um, I'd honestly be nervous about what I call the perfect investment apartments because it's not perfect if people have overpaid for it. And, you know, there's a sense that a lot of people might have overpaid for these assets in the last five or 10 years. Now, the assets that I think are going to be stronger are ones that are recession-resistant. I didn't say recession-proof. Recession-resistant assets would include perhaps cell towers, data centers, um, self-storage, mobile home parks. Uh, I have reasons to believe those are recession-resistant. And also, because a lot of those those last two, self-storage and mobile home parks, can be acquired from a mom and pop seller, they're often acquired with a very significant margin of safety. Um, the average debt service coverage ratio in within the assets in our fund right now is running 2.3. And that wow. means there's a 130% margin of safety. And the, like I said, the banks only require 25 or 30% margin of safety. We're obviously, you know, much much higher than that, and that is very good going into what I think is going to be a pretty painful downturn.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you. You know, you, uh, you know, I think that there is going to be, you know, in the long run, in the recovery, a building boom because you know, before housing, I think we have a shortage of housing, and you know, there's there's uh, I've I've read and listened to some experts so to speak that uh talk about how building will be part of what's going to take us out of this but definitely commercial real estate you know I'm, I'm sitting in my casita at my house in florida and i've worked out of the casita for the last seven months to the point where you know we're we've rented some of uh, our office space up in south dakota and um, you know we've rented it to, to other people because we just really don't need it. We're doing everything virtually, and uh, so I I I I know that just companies and driving around Southwest Florida that there's a lot of vacancies. And I think I'm I'm uh, worried for the people that are owning these buildings because, like you said, it's amazing what you can do with Zoom, a little bit of lighting, and uh, you know an iPad. I mean you you can you can put on a pretty professional looking uh meeting that's as effective as being in person. So why do you need the people to come to your office, really? Right.
0: And uh, I think that's gonna affect the airline industry as well, as you you know yeah. as you mentioned that. I just thought of that. So yeah, people in the convention business, I mean
1: they're like because conventions, at least for the near future, are I think out and then uh you know, are they ever going to be back the way they were? Probably not. I mean, just just I think the the world has changed the way we think about getting on a plane and flying all over the place to have in person meetings, and you know, when you can do a lot by by Zoom. You know, one of the questions you made me think of something. So, as you know, we at Create Tailwind advocate the, the infinite banking concept, which I know you're familiar with, and um, the. I always start or one of, during the presentation, this is the, the basic overview. I always ask people, Paul, and I already know what your answer would be. But I say, if I would loan you $100 million today and your only obligation is that one year from today, you have to pay me $5 million worth of interest. And then I ask people, would you take the money? Now, if somebody says, well, I don't know well, then, okay, so then I know what the problem is. They don't know what they would do with the money. You know, a lot of people say, before I can even ask the question, they're already answering yes. And I know that if I asked you that, you'd say in a, a second, right? You, mm-hmm. you would want the money. And then I tell them, play along. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the 100 million. If, I said, let's say that you made me that offer, Paul. You were going to loan me $100 million and all I had to do was pay you five million million one one year from today. And so I'm gonna take that hundred million dollars and I'm also gonna go to the bank and get another say $400 million and my numbers, you know, I'm just using round numbers and I'm gonna go buy $500 million worth of real estate. And let's say after, before your debt, but after all the other expenses, I make 5%. So I make 25 million bucks. And then I'm calling you one year from today, I'm even gonna buy lunch, Paul, cause I'm a nice guy. And I'm going to write you that check for $5 million as fast as I can. Mm. Right. So, you know, talk about, you know, when you do infinite banking, you flow money into the insurance contract and you flow it to buy assets. Okay. Well, if you're doing this through an organization like yours, right, where you're syndicating this and you have professional management, you're buying assets. Right. So those assets are going to cash flow. So then what do you do with the money? You flow it back into your banking system. So it ends up back in the insurance contract. That means you have cash to do what? Do it again. Right. And so I could see a scenario where if somebody said, I didn't, I don't wanna be active in real estate, but I want all the benefits from real estate. And they they contact you guys, they could have they could be investing that money over and over and over again creating velocity of money by buying more and more assets. Because a lot of people, Paul, when they put money into your fund and it makes money, they don't need that money that it makes to pay for their groceries and their standard of living. So they need to reinvest it pretty soon. So what, you know, uh, I already know the answer to this question, but I want to make sure that people realize that it's not you you don't have to have hundreds of thousands of dollars to get started with uh
0: with your program right uh the minimum investment with us is fifty thousand yeah. uh, dollars a lot of people come in at you know seventy five or a hundred thousand or even half a million dollars but no you you can start with fifty thousand dollars
1: and so you know if you think about if i were just like kind of visualizing this uh using if if somebody out in the audience is using infinite banking. I could take $50,000, take a $50,000 loan from my insurance contract against my insurance contract. Because when I take that loan, my money doesn't go anywhere. I'm using the insurance company's money. So I'm going to take the insurance company's money. I go put it in to uh, the the Welling's fund that's open, and then um, it makes money, right? I flow that back through. I pay off the loan. And when I pay off the loan, then I go and buy the next fund that's open, And then it pays back the loan and I buy the next one. And then I buy the next one. And then I buy the next one And over a, you know, it wouldn't happen overnight, but over a 10 or 20 year period, I'm going to have a lot of money in the different funds.
0: Yeah. And that makes a ton of sense. I love that use of infinite banking. And um, uh, man, I wish, I, I, I wish we could, I wish we could be in the same office together. I think we could, really help a lot of people get involved in stuff like this
1: i agree and maybe we should do um um in the future we could do a, a webinar um and talk about how infinite banking and your concept kind of uh work together and we could just uh you know we could we could invite people on a zoom meeting and you know in 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 a virtual sense we could be in the same office uh showing yeah. People this Yeah, um, because i think it's really exciting that you know just knowing you guys and knowing the results that you're getting and you know last time you were here uh you told us great story about a, a storage facility down in naples and i would encourage anybody to listen to that first episode but paul any any other
0: kind of deals uh like that that have happened recently So last time we talked about a storage facility in Naples that was built, it didn't have any other facilities in about a five mile radius, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, had about, you know, roughly $10 million invested in that. And it was acquired by an institutional investor for, uh, I believe about double the money, 20 million. Of course, if that was half debt and half equity, then that, Five million in equity just turned into 15. So they tripled their money. I've got a more dramatic story and it ties into COVID, believe it or not. So a friend of mine, AJ Osborne actually acquired a super Kmart. Now it doesn't really tie into COVID directly, but it ties into what we talked about earlier with the retail establishments being shut down. Obviously there's a lot of Sears, Kmart, Toys R Us, and there's a whole lot of other mall-type stores out there now that are really shutting down a lot of outlets, including Macy's uh, and others. But at any rate, he acquired a Super Kmart in Reno, Nevada. He immediately, as soon as they acquired it, sold off a lot of the parking lot to apartment developers. And so his net cost he had in it was two and a half million dollars in equity yeah. and about five million dollars in debt. So we had about seven and a half million dollars invested. Keep that in mind though, two and a half equity, five million in debt. Then he cut the building in half to create more exterior space and he turned it into a mostly climate controlled, self-storage facility yeah. and then it had non-climate controlled units on the outside perimeter which again which was just significantly increased by cutting it in half and um he has a beautiful office a beautiful front facade it looks like, sort of like a ski lodge mm-hmm. a beautiful facility anyway um the uh aj told me that he thought that when it was fully stabilized it would be worth 20 to 22 million Wow! And I was on the phone with him in December. And uh, while I was on the phone chatting with him, he got an offer for, I believe it was $26 million. I wow. remember he had $2.5 million in equity in this and $5 million in debt. Now, the beauty of commercial real estate is the bankers don't get to share in that upside. The bankers get their you know, interest, which is great. But the investors, and that's investors like infinite banking clients get to share in that huge upside. And so his two and a half million dollars in equity, if he would have taken this deal, would turn into something like 18 to 20 million dollars in equity. So I believe that would have been about an eight or nine X, eight or nine hundred percent return on his money. And that's the kind of things that can happen in the self-storage arena. By the way, he was only 40% occupied when he got that offer. And so, uh, pretty powerful way to, um, to build equity, obviously. Now, if you don't want to get your hands dirty and do this yourself, you know, investing with a professional, uh, is the way to go and you can get the benefits of all the tax you know, the tax write-offs and the growth of a project like that. Yeah, that's, that's very cool.
1: Um, and you know, there's uh, I think I told this story last time, Paul, but, um, we had a friend who bought the Gateway computer building up in North Sioux City, South Dakota, and it was a million dollar, or I'm sorry, a million square feet. Mm. And he he bought it for like 5 point something million, and um, he sold 200,000 square feet of it, or thereabouts, to, to a company, and did a simultaneous close, for at, and used that as the down payment. And so he had no money in it and over four to six months sold it for about 14 million, you know, oh. the, the, the broken up pieces. And remember he never had a dollar in it. Right. Um mm-hmm. so those, like you said, people that know how to do that in the marketplace. And I think coming out of this COVID situation, there will be even more opportunities like that. Um, because there are the ma and pa operators are going to be strapped and and some of them are going to be ready to just be done with it. And um so uh yeah, that's uh that's 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 exciting. Those kinds of deals are uh um are pretty fun to talk
0: about. Yeah. yeah and they're and they're out there. I mean there are fifty-three, almost fifty-four thousand self storage facilities in the US. And about half are run by mom and pop operators. A lot of those are older people who want to get out. Yeah. And they just need a buyer. And mobile home parks, similar. You know, there's forty-four thousand and decreasing every year, by the way, which is a powerful concept. Increasing supply, excuse me, increasing demand yeah. and decreasing supply. Well, forty thousand or so of the forty-four thousand mobile home parks in the US are run by mom and pop operators and a lot of those would love to move on. And uh, it's a very powerful opportunity right now. Won't last forever.
1: You know, and the, you know, the other thing that I think that those people out there that are trying to get out, what they need to understand is what is their goal? And if they think that their goal is the, is just a check that they're going to go take and give to somebody um, to put in Wall Street and supposedly um, generate an income that they can't outlive. Well, what about self-financing part of that your cash flow is going to be greater than what you would get in a stock portfolio in wall street and you you know you you retain um the the asset to some degree if if they defaulted so you know um i don't know how much you see of that out there paul but
0: to me there's a huge opportunity there yeah absolutely i i absolutely agree um some of these mom and pop sellers. And they know that, you know, that, that, that there's a lot of meat on the bone to yeah. uh, a, a professional operator buying, but some of them turn around and invest right back into our funds. Okay, uh, good. When an asset is acquired because they realize that and they realize, hey, I, I could do better with you uh, than I could on the Wall Street casinos, you know? Yeah, the Wall Street casinos. I like that.
1: All right, Paul, well, tell me, um, um, uh, I know you mentioned your that you have a new book coming out. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, so I looked around the world and couldn't find very many great books on self-storage, even though it's a huge business. And so I wrote a book on self-storage. It's being published by Bigger Pockets Publishing later in 2020. It might even be out as some of these folks are listening to this episode. It's called storing up profits, uh, capitalize on America's obsession with stuff by investing in self-storage.
1: Nice. Nice. So you think it's coming out in the next few months? And um, I also like to always ask people, what are you reading right now? Or what's the last book that really made an impact on you, Paul?
0: Yeah, great question. Um, So I am in my second read through of a book called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was about a negotiating and I kind of put off reading it for a long time, but it's really about all kinds of human interactions. I was having some tension with a business partner the other day and I, and I really studied chapter two a couple more times yeah. and it really helped me in those conversations even though it wasn't a negotiation. Uh, The book I read before that was one that most of your audience has not heard of, I'm sure. And it's called The Rebel Allocator. And I really enjoyed that book. It's a parable. Uh, It's not so much a parable. It's a a story about uh, combining a lot of the concepts of Warren Buffett, Sam Zell, etc. into a story form. And it's a really enjoyable read.
1: I have, to, I have not heard of that one. I'll have to check it out. You know, the thing I like about Chris Voss is um, his he's what he says is he says something about uh, something like this. And I'm going to I'm going to mess it up here, Paul. But in a crisis, you fall back to your preparation, right? You you don't rise to the occasion. You fall back to your preparation. Yeah, that's right. You
0: fall back. You You don't rise to the occasion. You fall back to your level of preparation yeah Yeah. that's right
1: yeah you know and i think about that with this with this uh you know covid situation and in our economy and what's happening is it's it's exposing it it's exposing weaknesses for people and you know what when you expose a weakness then you make a change and like you said the wall street casinos if you think that's where you make money i've been doing this 32 years paul i know you've been doing it a long time I'm just telling you, and I know you agree, that's not where people that I have studied and made and talked to and worked with, it's not where they made their
0: money. No, I agree. Uh, you know, uh, if you look at the Forbes 400, the wealthiest people in the world, a lot of them now have made their money in IT, but, uh, you know, in the, in the technology world, but a vast number of them either made or sustained and grow their wealth through commercial real estate. And a whole lot of people, I, I really hope your listeners are listening carefully because a whole lot of people are using the infinite banking concept and they could be so much further ahead if they would just get involved with a program like yours. Yeah,
1: yeah, well, thank you. And I agree. So Paul, tell people, where do they go to find out more about these funds? How do they get a meeting with you or one of your team or somebody on your team? Like, how, What would they do?
0: Yeah, they can just visit us at wellingscapital.com. That's W-E-L-L-I-N-G-S, Wellings, C-A-P-I-T-A-L, C-A-P-I-T-A-L, wellingscapital.com.
1: Awesome. And remind everybody, you, you have a podcast too, right?
0: we have been doing a podcast for the last four years or so it's called how to lose money. And, um, so that's been a show where we have interviewed a lot of people about their failures and pain on the way to the top. Uh, we're soon going to be launching a new podcast called the art of investing. And we'd love to have you as a guest.
1: Well, that'd be awesome. And I'd be honored to be on there as a guest. And, uh, well, Paul, I, you know, I think I could talk to you about real estate and what you're doing all day long and some other causes that I know you're passionate about that, that, um, you know, we could, again, that would extend this podcast past our, our recommended time. My experts tell me how long this, these things should go. So um, any famous last words?
0: Yeah, I would just say, really, as, as I've said before. <laughs> really understand the difference between investing and speculating. The wealthiest people who sustain their wealth for the longest in the world, there there are exceptions of course, but in general, the people who create and sustain wealth uh, are experts in investing, not speculating. You know, speculating is when your principal is not at all safe and you've got a chance to make a return. Investing is when your principal is generally safe and you've got a chance to make a return. You won't become as famous, there won't be books written about your speculating, but uh, you will more likely be uh, happier in the end if you really focus
1: on that. Great advice. Great advice, and obviously, to do some of these concepts, you need to break away from the herd, and that's what this show is all about. So, Paul, thank you so much for being back on the show, and with all of uh, uh, thanks for sharing all the exciting things that you have going on, and just reminding people of your expertise and your passion to serve people to help them create wealth.
0: Thanks, Jim. It's been a real honor, and I really appreciate you guys. Thank you, Breakaway Wealth. Until
1: next time, I'm your host, Jim Oliver. Breakaway, don't stay in the herd. Want to
0: become your own banker and build wealth on your own terms? We'd love to help. Go to createtailwind.com to learn more and schedule a complimentary consultation.